How's everyone doing tonight? Merry Christmas. All right. So when uh, Greg asked me to teach for him tonight uh, a couple weeks ago, and so I was kicking through uh, topical Christmas sermons, and I've never done a topical anything before. Usually it's you go with the passage, you explain the passage, and then you exegete it and apply it and do all these things. So I was really getting to the point where I didn't know what I was going to do for a Christmas thing because I feel like Christmas has been, you know, you you hear the same story over and over sometimes. But so I was really excited to get into it and to just the idea, the concept of saying Merry Christmas is in itself an, an amazing thing to be able to say because it's us celebrating the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, the Son, the, the eternal Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. I mean, we are free to celebrate and to be filled with joy at the coming of God in peace for our redemption. Because the flip side of that is, if we're not saying Merry Christmas, we're in terror and dread and fear at the coming wrath of God. So when we can say Merry Christmas... That's God looking at us and saying, I love you because of my son. And that is truly a Merry Christmas. That's truly what we celebrate. Um, So a little background before we get into this passage. I think we need to answer the question, why Jesus came in the first place? I mean, we know, you know, you have the because Jesus came to die for our sins. The the Sunday, I help out with the, um, the high school and junior high uh, youth group during Sunday morning. So, you know, they, there's the, the Bible answers that you constantly give that you know is going to be like, get everybody off your back. Jesus died for me to save my sins and so on and so forth. But to understand, to really get back into it, I wanted to start back at the garden, back when, taking all the way back to when the triune God worked together to create this world and he created a people in his image for his glory. And he called it very good. We were very good creation to him. Uh, this, the garden that he created was a temple where Adam and Eve could commune with God and talk to him face to face. And there was no sin. There was no corruption. There was no death during that time. Until the man and the woman rebelled. Until Adam and Eve rebelled. And they went against God's holy decree. His word. He told them to be fruitful, multiply, and to not eat of this certain tree. They did that. It's not so much that they ate the fruit. It's that they went against God's word. They sinned and they rebelled. And in their rebellion, they're now... Uh, they're now under God's wrath and judgment because he cannot, he's holy and he's perfect and he cannot be around that. As a side note to that, I'm, I'm currently in seminary right now. So uh, one of my systematic theology professors, Mike Williams, he talked about, um, he prefers the word rebellion over fall. And the reason being is, uh, so I got to turn this on real fast or I will talk all night and you guys will never get to Wendy's. So... <laughs> There we go. And then I don't want to be, have uh, tomatoes thrown at me. Um, so the reason that he goes with the term rebellion over fall is because fall is a more passive, accidental thing that happens to someone, whereas rebellion, Adam and Eve, succumbed to the serpent's lie, and they rebelled against God. They rebelled against the one that created them. Uh, so it was not an accidental 
fall. It, it was a rebellious act against God. Um, as Pastor Brenji brought up a few weeks ago, that as in this rebellion, God threw the first ugly sweater, or ugly Christmas sweater party. He killed an animal to cover the sin and shame of Adam and Eve in order for them to be able to commune with each other still because in that moment of desperation, God gave them grace. And he still kicked them out of the garden because it's, it can be argued that uh, the reason he kicked them out is if they had taken, if they had partaken of the uh, tree of eternal life, of the tree of life, they would have been stuck in that rebellious, sinful death state forever. So he kicked them out of this temple garden as a grace, and he removed them in order to send a savior so one day we would be able to partake of this tree of life and to live forever with him in that. Um, I mean, God being rich in his mercy and his great love, he didn't destroy the creation. He didn't destroy the man and the woman, and he had every right. He, he could have, should have, but in his grace and his love, he chose not to. God chose to send a savior who would be the mediator for mankind, who would live a life of perfect obedience to the law that he made, to the law of God, and to take our deserving judgment on himself. It's an amazing thing that we're able to share in this perfect life that God has given to us because of what Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection. And through this work of Christ, the Holy Spirit applies this imputed righteousness to us. We're forgiven because of Christ's uh, sacrifice on the cross. He takes our sin and bears it for us, and then we get his imputed righteousness, and we're counted as perfect before him. And all of this could not have happened unless the Son had taken on humanity. John, John 1.14, that what we just read was he became flesh and he dwelt among us. He became a man. He became flesh and blood in order to be the mediator, to be the one that goes between us and God, to be our high priest as we're going through in the book of Hebrews we're seeing. Uh, we celebrate this Christmas season with the coming of the Son of God in the flesh to redeem a people for his purpose and to restore all of his creation. So in that we can say Merry Christmas, very Merry Christmas. Um, if you guys will grab your Bibles, if you have them with you, turn them on, flip them open, uh, however, however you get there, uh, to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. There we go. Uh, Matthew 2, chapter 2, 1 through 18. So we're going to be looking specifically at verses 16, 17, and 18. But I want to read it in context because when, when looking at a specific Bible passage, it's a, lot like, it's a lot like real estate. Your location, location, location. With Scripture, it's all about context, context, context. So we're going to look through the context, or we're going to read the entire passage, and then focus in on one specific part. Uh, and, I'll read, and I'm reading from the ESV, so if this messes anybody up, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, Matthew 2, 1 through 18. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, 
Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced in exceedingly, in exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And they remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Uh, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give all honor to you, our great God, that when the fullness of time had come, you sent your son to be born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those that were condemned by the law. We praise you that the eternal word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. When this one who was firstborn in rank came into the world, all angels of God were given the charge to worship him. We thank you that uh, chosen witnesses saw his glory the glory that belongs inherently to your one and only Son, who is full of grace and truth. Undeniably great is this mystery that creates God-centered living, that you, the eternal God, were manifested in the flesh. Bless us, Lord. Open our eyes and our hearts as you minister to us through your word, and let our hearts be filled with joy as we meditate on the incarnation. We pray these things unto the glory of God. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, in my house, I try to teach our kids certain things. My wife and I try to teach our kids certain things. Um, one of those things is do not ever, 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 ever touch the stove. 
don't touch the stove, period. There's just way too much that can go wrong with it. Pulling something down on themselves, lighting a fire, there's just, there's just so much savagery that can go on with touching the stove. So we really try to just immediate consequence of not touching the stove. Do not touch the stove. There's, it's, it's really all law, no gospel when it comes to touching the stove. So one day I was home by myself and uh, Noelle was gone. She was at work. And so I was watching the two kids. I was sitting at the kitchen table writing a paper and I had to get up to go get another book out of my bookshelf. And the, the classic, I won't be gone very long. The 30 seconds, I'll be right back. Nothing, nothing back can happen in 30 seconds. So I'm in there, I'm scanning through my books, looking for what I want to, what I need for my paper. And then I hear this click, 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 click. And I was just like, they, they turned on the stove. They turned on the stove. Those little savages waited till I walked out of the room <laughs> to turn on the stove. They, were, they knew it. They were waiting for me to leave. They've been planning this since day one. Um, <laughs> So immediately, I'm sitting there, and I'm writing a paper on the grace of God in Ephesians chapter 1, and I, I forgot what I was talking about. I forgot what I was writing about. I got immediately mad. Uh, my, like, my blood started boiling, my clenched fist, clenched jaw, walking down the hall, and I turn the corner, and I see my son sitting up there. Benji, he's three years old. He's sitting up there, and he's turning the stove off, and I was just like, I cannot believe it. So I took him, I sat him down, and I talked to him very sternly because you really can't, I mean, the stove's dangerous. So, you know, talking to him sternly, how I could burn the house down, making it as terrible as I could, you could die, you could burn the house down, this whole apartment could go up in smoke, all these terrible things, just really trying to scare him straight. And then um, I put him into his room, and he just immediately burst into tears. Like, it, it wasn't the the tears that's the fate cry I'm in trouble it was like legitimate sad tears so finally I put him in his room for about 10 minutes I I went back in there and I was talking to him and then I uh, finally when I was talking to him he told me that Abigail our daughter had turned on the stove and he was turning it off and he said the stove is dangerous and it's for big boys and that's what I was telling Abigail so I just my heart broke. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm such a terrible parent. Like, I was trying to save my kid from burning our house down, and he was trying to do the same thing. So, uh, I just, I went off of the little bit of information that I had, and I just became so red with fury that I forgot about everything. I was just, I need to handle this. I need to do it right now. And I didn't think about my context. I didn't think about any information. I was just going off of what I saw and what I felt at that exact moment. So, I apologized to him, I prayed with him, and I thanked him for watching out for his little sister and trying to keep her safe. And by that time, she's one, so she's a hummingbird. She forgot that she even had touched the stove. So, But really, that, that picture of misinterpreting the situation is what our passage is about tonight in Matthew 2, 16 through 18. Uh, it's not as heavy, obviously, uh, what Herod does to these babies because he misinterprets Christmas is obviously a lot heavier than me scolding a three-year-old in a wrong context. But the same principle applies that someone can misinterpret something that's good and they can turn it into something evil. 
what my son was doing was good. He was trying to help us out, and I misinterpreted it, and I turned it into something bad. The same way we see Herod does here. Um, so, going back to the passage, I think it's really helpful. I know we just read it, but sometimes, and this is for me, because sometimes when I hear long passages read, I zone out, and I start looking at my shoes, and I was like, oh, I need a new pair of shoes. What did we cook for dinner tonight? So real quick, I'm going to just go through real fast and give a quick cliff notes of what we just read. Um, the eternal Logos, the Son, the incarnate God came to earth and he became flesh and dwelled among us. The wise men, while searching for the child, they were, also, they were going around Jerusalem asking everybody, where's this kid going to be born? Where's this new king going to be born? So not only are they asking, that's also them semi-telling. Because if someone's like, oh, there's a king that's going to be born? I didn't hear about this. So they're, in essence, they're asking and they're evangelizing at the same time. Um, Herod the king had heard of a new king that was to reign over Israel and be the true king of Israel. And just as a little sidebar character reference on Herod, he, Herod the Great, he was an evil, evil person. He killed his own relatives because he was so paranoid about losing his kingdom and his kingship and his power and everything that he had built. He was so paranoid about that, he would kill his own relatives. On his deathbed, what he did was he took all of the rulers, or a bunch of the ruling families and the, uh, the more wealthy families in Jerusalem, he brought them together in a horse track and he gave the order to have every single one of them killed because on his death, he was going to order them killed so the whole nation would mourn because he knew that if he just simply died, nobody would care. In fact, there would be celebration. But he wanted there to be mourning on his death, so he was going to kill hundreds of other people with him so the entire nation would be in mourning. Uh, the historian Josephus during this time, uh, he says... He says of Herod, when anyone looks upon the punishments he inflicted, the injuries he did, not only to his subjects, but to his nearest relations, and takes notice of his severe, unrelenting disposition, he will be forced to allow that he was brutish and that he was a stranger to all humanity. So that was, uh, that's, that's Herod. This is who we're talking about. So back to the narrative. Herod employs all the chief priests, scribes, and the wise men. He gets them all together to find out where this kid's going to be born, where this king is going to be born, so he can take him out, so he doesn't have to have this competition. Um, and then verses 13 to 15, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus all uh, fled to Egypt by a warning of the angel. So because he, uh, the angel warned them that there was going to be a destruction, that Herod was going to be searching for him to destroy Jesus. So one more time, we'll read 16 through 18, and then we'll see how Herod misinterpreted Christmas. Uh, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. According to that time that he had ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. 
Herod the Great saw one coming, a celebrated king that was to be greater than he is. As, he, as we heard earlier that Herod had no problem committing murder. He had no problem massacring his own children. And he had no problem putting mass amounts of people to death at just the potential of him losing his power. We see from our passage that Herod's pride drove him killing the children. He became, it says that he became so furious with rage that he had been tricked that he killed all the male children. So not only had he been tricked, he got egg on his face. He was embarrassed and he still could not find Jesus. So he was going off of what he saw the situation to be. He misinterpreted the coming king. He didn't see what Jesus was. He wanted to destroy the single king heir, but his fury drove him to mass murder. He, he misinterpreted Christmas. His jealousy, his rage, his intimidation of, of the new king, his hatred, his self-promotion, his evil motives, all fall under the umbrella of idolatry. These are all idolatrous characteristics that he was trying to proclaim himself, glorify himself, and put his name to be the greatest king of all names under the heaven and earth. Um, Herod sinned because he was a sinner. He, he will be resurrected one day, and he'll be resurrected unto God's eternal wrath. The irony of this is the king that he was trying to kill was the king that would rescue him from this judgment. He was trying to kill and murder his own savior because he misinterpreted Christmas. He sought to destroy the coming King Jesus so he didn't have his power taken away. And really, it, it, it comes down to Herod became so consumed with looking good in front of people and holding on to his reign and, and his politics. He became so consumed with politics and being right that he was trying to force his own agenda. And in fact, it wasn't possible to do. It, it, he became so consumed with his own agenda that he missed the eternal son condescending to take on human flesh to live as a perfect prophet, priest, and king for his creation. Herod tried to kill the Savior because he misinterpreted the prophecies of the coming Messiah. He had all the, king, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, the rabbis, the, the wise men. He had all of these people together to find the location, but he didn't consider the purpose. He was stuck on his single context. Um... I mean, we can sit back and say, Herod, you suck. We hate you. You're a terrible person because you misinterpreted Christmas. You killed all of these babies. You did all of these evil, terrible things. But then, how do we misinterpret Christmas? The truth is that this passage is not only a historical document, a historical documentation of something that happened, but it is so relevant for us today and this week especially. Um, a prime example of this is, uh, of misinterpreting Christmas in this day and age, is the Starbucks Red Cup controversy. I don't know if 
everybody's familiar with that. Um, for those who don't know, Starbucks has been coming out with these Christmas cups since I think 1997 is what I found. Um, they come out with these Christmas-themed cups. And in the past, they've had snowflakes, trees, ornaments, uh, these little weird circle-shaped alien things playing in the snow. Um, and so online, there was a self-proclaimed pastor. And so this year, just the cup is simply red. It's, there's nothing on it. There's no holiday theme to it. It's just a simple red cup. Um, uh, pastor, I don't know if I'm allowed to say names, but since I'm not a, on staff here, I'll say it. This guy, Josh Furstein, who made an, he made this super aggressive video condemning Starbucks for wanting to take Christ out of Christmas. He, he said that Starbucks hates Jesus because they didn't have an alien playing in the snow or they didn't have these ornaments on the cups and they didn't have these trees everywhere. Um... Oh, and a lot of Christians got really upset over this. And, and if that was you, then, hey, there's still more to come. So <laughs> there's, still, there's still a couple pages left in my sermon. So um, there, the red cup is not the cross that Christians pick up and bury during this season. We're not here as Herod to put forward our political agenda Trees and ornaments and aliens playing in the snow are not Christmas. These, that's not what we celebrate during this time. I mean, and even, even that, it's kind of funny. You know, you get stuck like, haha, yeah, I'll go to Starbucks. I mean, I still go to Starbucks twice a week, so it didn't bug me at all. But that's just one example of how we can misinterpret Christmas. Um, we can be so consumed with writing Christmas letters to people or getting our holiday cards or Christmas cards put together, making sure all of our kids are smiling. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, we can be so consumed with these things that we forget that Christmas is not about these. Or we want the best green turtleneck we can find. We want the sweetest Christmas tree earring, earrings that we can come across Oops, I just turned the lights out. See, look, I just, that could really make somebody mad that this is bad for Christmas. I just kicked these lights out. Sorry, anybody. Um, and I really hope that nobody's hearing me condemn these things because I love Christmas trees. I love wearing my ugly Christmas sweater, eggnog, and if anybody's having a Christmas party, hey, invite me. That's cool. The, the, these aren't things I'm condemning, but, and these are even things that are gifts that the Lord has given to us that we can glorify him more in this world. All of these little things that point toward our Savior are not the celebration of Christmas in themselves. Um, They're non-essentials. They're not the celebration of the incarnate God, the Messiah coming to earth to rescue us and redeem us from our sin. We still have Christmas without these things. I'm reminded of uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas when the Grinch steals all the presents and the Who's are still down there singing. And he's, what is this? I mean, they're not singing the gospel. And I'm not saying that we need to be Who's and hold hands. But all of the things are gone. All of the material possessions are gone. They're, they're the celebration of Christmas. Again, the eternal word of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us takes, makes these traditions more enjoyable, yes, 
but they're themselves not Christmas. Each of our misinterpretations look different too. I mean, we always need to run back to Christ. We need to run back to the gospel because these few things that I pointed out, maybe you don't struggle with any of those things. And my Christmas struggles are a lot different. What I think we haven't even bought all of our presents yet, and it is not stressing me out at all. I'm okay with that. But for some people, that would be really heavy. But this, again, is not Christmas. Um, it's God becoming flesh. I mean, one of my favorite things that Pastor Benji says is it, talking about the humanity of Jesus. I mean, a few things that I picked up is his stinky armpits, his ingrown toenails, his greasy hair, and his bad breath. Jesus, God became a man, and he had these attributes. He's 100% God, 100% man. And he came for a purpose. It, it wasn't just a cool parlor trick saying, hey guys, check this out. Jesus came to earth as our mediator to redeem humanity as our high priest so that we would re be redeemed as a people for his purpose. We're not saved just to be saved. We're saved that we can glorify God and continue in his mission of glorifying him throughout the entire world forever. Um, one of my favorite documents is the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism. In question 45, um, talks about this. The question asks, how does Christ execute the office of king? And the answer is, and this is long and it's in older English. This is revised, but it's still older. Um, Christ executed the office of a king in calling out of the world a people to himself, giving them officers, laws, and censures by which he visibly governs them in bestowing saving grace upon his elect rewarding their obedience and correcting them for their sins, preserving and supporting them under all their temptations and sufferings, restraining and overcoming all their enemies, and powerfully ordering all things for his own glory and their good, and also taking vengeance on the rest who know not God and obey not the gospel." Again, we can say Merry Christmas because we are in union with Christ. And we're motivated when we're talking to our crazy drunk uncle during Halloween or holiday parties or when we're talking to our friends or family that don't know Christ. It, will, it is not a Merry Christmas for them because if they're saying Merry Christmas for the sake of being polite, explain to them what a merry christmas is these are this is an awesome truth that we get to carry with us at all times we celebrate the message of the gospel this christmas that god is not mad at us god is not mad at you or if you are a believer in jesus christ he's not mad at you because jesus became a baby and redeemed humanity in fulfilling the perfect law of god for his entire life and then he died a bloody, humiliating, torturous death on a cross, and he endured separation and judgment from the Father on our behalf, so we don't have to endure that. We are right before God because God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, forever lives and makes intercession on our behalves. Dude, Merry Christmas. That is what we prepare our homes and our hearts for is to celebrate this Christmas season, yes, we have our traditions, but let's not lose what Christmas is truly about. And as one of my favorite writers, uh, 
Thomas Cranmer. He's a, he's a reformer. And we're wrapping up here, so you guys will be able to get to Wendy's. Um, Thomas Cranmer says, Our justification comes freely by the mere mercy of God and of so great and free mercy that whereas all the world was not able of themselves to pay any part toward their ransom, it pleased our Heavenly Father in His infinite mercy without any desert or deserving to prepare for us the most precious jewels of Christ's body and blood whereby our ransom might be fully paid the law fulfilled, and his justice fully satisfied. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Son of Man came into this world to seek and to save the lost. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. We rejoice that the Son of God was manifested so that he might destroy the works of the devil. Lord, we receive it as a faithful saying and worthy of unqualified acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the greatest sinners among us. Lord, bless us. Move our hearts toward you for, our, for your glory and our good. Let us focus on you this Christmas season. Let us share in the gospel and the incarnate Son who came to redeem a people for him, Lord. We ask that you go with us this week and always let us remember the gospel in all things that we could preach to ourselves for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.